Well, good morning, everybody. My name's Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I am excited to be kicking off a brand new series here, kind of a mini-series. We're going to be looking at this conversation around blind spots. And we said it's blind spots relying on others to navigate life. And we can all recognize that at no time are we able to fully understand ourselves. We're just too close to it. I can't fully see all that it takes to navigate my life with perfect clarity. Right? We all kind of have blind spots and we need to rely on other people right? and have a higher perspective in order to fully understand the best way to navigate life. Probably the best way to understand blind spots is to think of it in the physical realm. Right? Even think of the way that our eyes are placed in our body. We're always kind of limited in our view. Right? At any given time, I can only see what's in front of me. I can't even see my whole body all at once. If I want to have a vision of this part of the room, I kind of have to stand here with my head facing this way. If I want to look somewhere else, I have to turn my whole head or my whole body to capture that line of vision. I can't even see the back of my head. I tried to shave my head for the first time. I don't know if you guys noticed, my hairline has receded a little bit. And I, it's, it felt so weird uh, to take a razor and put it somewhere where I just couldn't even see. You know, I'm like, I can't even access vision on the back of my body. I actually need a mirror to see that. And that is how it works. There's, there are blind spots physically that make sense to us that we can't see all of ourselves at once. I'll use the whiteboard here to show you. Didn't you guys love that Jeff used the whiteboard last week? If you guys were here, if you missed last week, Pastor Jeff used the whiteboard, brought a little tear to my eye. I'm so excited about it. (laughs) Fired me up. But let's say this is kind of our line of vision, right? Kind of here's me, and I'm always only able to see just a portion of life, right? And so let's say the rest of us is kind of hidden from our view, and I need another source of information. I need a mirror. I need something else if I'm gonna access kind of the rest of the perspective. I was doing a wedding a handful of years ago. The room was packed, beautiful wedding, right? Kind of all decked out, everything was perfect. Everybody was on time, the music was perfect, right? The, the bride's making her way down the aisle, people are tearing up, it was awesome, right? Kleenexes are flowing. I'm standing there with my suit on, I've got the notebook and I'm ready to like kind of receive the dad and the bride as they walk down the aisle. They stop about right here in the auditorium that we're in. And and the bride, as I begin to welcome everybody, right, to the service, thank you for showing up, da-da-da, the bride looks at me and she kind of gives me a dirty look. And I'm like, did I say the right name? Like, did I totally mess this thing up, right? Because you're just saying words. It's all kind of happening in real time. You wonder, did I miss something? We keep going with the service and we're walking through it. Everything's fine. I'm, I think I, I'm not missing anything, but the bride keeps giving me this, this look. She's kind of giving me the stink eye, you know? She's giving me the like, you, something's wrong here. I'm like, what is going on? I have no idea. I go through the whole service. Everything seems fine except the bride is a little off. I drive up, kind of wrap up the service, drive back to our offices. And uh, we had offices at Embassy Parkway and they're the, kind of the entrance to the offices are all mirrors, right? And so as I, I get out my key and I'm walking up to unlock the door to our offices, I start to see myself, you know? 
Yeah, and I'm walking closer and I'm looking into the mirror back at myself. You guessed it. It was down (laughs) the whole time. That, my folks, is a blind spot right there. That's a blind spot, right? Didn't realize it. And that, guys, that is what we're talking about, right? In the physical realm, we know what to do with that. The reality is that we have blind spots, uh, not just physically, but also spiritually, right? They're going to show up in our character. I'm going to give us a definition of what a blind spot is, kind of a working definition to work with, uh, but this week and next week. And here's what we said a blind spot is. It's an area in which a person lacks understanding or impartiality. An area in which a person lacks understanding or impartiality. So it may be an area of life that that I see, I kind of know that it's there, but I'm lacking understanding about kind of how big of a deal that is, right? So so maybe I'm I'm forming a relationship uh, with a friend and and it seems like it's not a big deal, but that that person's influence on me, I'm not fully understanding the, the impact that they're having on me. Right, this relationship with a coworker, maybe it's a person of the opposite sex, we're, we're just friends and maybe I'm not fully understanding that this is turning into a, an emotional relation. That's a blind spot. Right? I don't see that, that maybe a, a priority is misplaced and a, a whole bunch of energy and time and focus is spent in an area that, that maybe isn't best for me. The easiest way for us to see these kind of blind spots is when we think uh, probably about other people. Right, if you think about the people closest to you or people that are in your life and you said, hey, is there an action or an attitude or a priority maybe uh, that, that's in this person's life that's close to me that, that may be harmful to them, right? And you think this kind of stuff, we just see it clearer in others than we see it in ourselves. So you think, man, if that, if that guy spent half the energy on his family that he spent on his golf game, most of his problems would be taken care of. Doesn't he, we would say things like this, doesn't he see that, right? Doesn't that person know that every time we're in a conversation, they like dominate the whole, the whole thing. They talk for 45 minutes. I didn't even get to get one word in. Do they, don't they like know that that's happening, right? Those kind of blind spots are gonna show up all the time. And when we're talking about or thinking about other people, we can see them so clear and we think, man, can't those, those people see those blind spots? It's so clear to me. And the reality is, uh, right, that the other people aren't the only ones with the blind spots. We have them too. We're just a little bit too close to it to get a hold of it, right? But we want to begin to say, if we could get a hold of some of these blind spots, right, if we could actually uncover those, we're going to find that all kinds of disasters could be averted, Huge portions of our life could change if we could just have access to those. That's a lot of what we're going to be talking about here over the the next two weeks as we begin to open this conversation up. And today, a lot of what I want to do is is just give us some definition to what this blind spot is, kind of give a frame of reference to this concept, and then we'll drive it all home next week. I'm going to leave you you hanging a little bit uh, this weekend, but we'll make sure to finish it up next weekend. So... 
before we dive into a story about a man who really suffered from blind spots and really was overtaken by them, I need to give you guys this warning real quick. We kind of have a PG-13 rating on this conversation and next week's conversation. So if you have small children and you're concerned about kind of the level of content and conversation we're going to have, feel free to pop up and check them into Power Kids and uh, they would love to receive your teams to help you get checked in and do that. Just want to make sure to give that warning. Kind of the the Bible stories that we're going to be looking at, believe it or not, are uh, kind of a PG-13 rating, and uh, we're going to dive into those stories. In fact, the nature of these stories, they take a little more cultural unpacking, probably even than we're used to. So this is a little bit more of a complicated story culturally uh, than we would be used to diving into. So I'm going to have to open up a passage for us before I show you this story, even to be able to understand it. So you just listen along with me to a portion of scripture I'm going to read out of the book of Deuteronomy. So the book of Deuteronomy is, uh, it's like law. It's almost like reading the constitution for the nation of Israel. So we're going to be reading one of their laws, and it has to do with this story we're going to be taking a look at here in a moment. So listen along with me, Deuteronomy chapter 25, uh, starting in verse 5, and this is going to have to do with What happens when a a family situation plays out where a brother is married to a woman, he has multiple brothers, and one of them dies leaving a widow? What is that widow to do? That's the situation, the context we're going to look at. Deuteronomy chapter 25, starting in verse 5. Let me read this to you. Here's what the law would say. It says, if brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son... His widow must not marry outside the family. Okay, so she's to stay within the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. Okay, right away, don't get caught up in the cultural differences because it's an extremely different passage than our culture. Israel would value things like a genealogy and lineage and heritage, and they would want to pass on kind of a line of descendants. And that would be important, one, for survival. Like, that's literally how they took care of each other, is that their kids would provide for them in their later years, and that's how they would continue kind of passing their name on. That was a, a huge value in Israel. Also a huge value was the spiritual benefit of it. They knew that the Messiah the Savior was going to come through one of our children in Israel, so they kind of kept track of all that stuff. Massive cultural value to making sure that a family name was carried on, and that's what's happening. They're saying, hey, if a brother dies, that widow should marry kind of the next youngest brother. I know it sounds crazy to us, but that's what's normal here in this culture. Remember, we're talking about thousands of years ago in Israel. Now, let me, let me carry it on with you. This is a pretty fascinating uh, rest of the passage. It's actually hilarious. I'm going to start in verse 7. Listen to this. So it's how, it says, however, if a man does not want to marry his brother's wife, right? He's like, I'm not marrying that lady. I didn't pick her. He, she shall go to the elders at the town gate and say, my husband's brother refuses to carry on his brother's name in Israel. He will not fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to me. Then the elders of his town shall summon him and talk to him. That's usually not a good thing. It says, if he persists in saying, I do not want to marry her, his brother's widow, check this out, this is amazing, his brother's widow 
shall go up to him in the presence of the elders. This is in the Bible. Take off one of his sandals, spit in his face, and say, this is what is done to the man who will not build up his brother's family line. That man's line shall be known in Israel as the family of the unsandaled. Is that fantastic? Did you know that was in the Bible? I mean, that is amazing, right? So you're like, let me, let me just recap this. So she gets to stand in front of the elders, take off a guy's flip-flop, spit in his face, and say that he's of the family. Yeah, that's what's happening right there. And, and it's fantastic. It's kind of a public shaming that would happen. But here's the thing. Here's why that's going to happen. If a brother looks at that widow and says, hey, I don't want to marry you, he's not just saying, I don't like you, I don't marry you, right? You're not my type. He's saying to her, hey, you're, con- you're dead to me. I'm not going to provide for you. All right, you're, you're kind of not in the family anymore because that's how it would have worked in that culture. It's a much broader statement than just like, we don't have chemistry, right? It's much deeper than that. He would have been almost abandoning that woman and refusing to give her justice and to take care of her needs. She'd be past marrying age and now she'd have to somehow figure out how to fend for herself in a culture where that'd be very difficult. Okay, lots of culture there, I know. But it all makes sense here in our story as we're going to unpack a story that may not be well known to some of us in the Old Testament. Fascinating story, kind of Jerry Springer-ish. We're going to look at it here in a second. Genesis chapter 38. I will ask you to turn there in your Bible. It's Genesis chapter 38. If you don't have a Bible or newer translation of the Bible, take one of those from underneath your chairs and uh, you can turn there and, and follow with us today. And if you don't have one, you can take it home with you. I'd uh, love to have you have a copy of God's word for yourself. Genesis chapter 38, let me get us caught up to what's happening here in this story. So we're early, right? it's the first book of the Bible, Genesis is, and we're looking at a guy named Judah. Judah. Judah is one of 12 brothers, the 12 tribes of Israel. Judah is going to be one of them. They're one of Israel's 12 sons. And Judah would have been uh, one of the brothers that sold his brother Joseph into slavery, right? That, that whole story that would be attached to this. Judah has moved away from his brothers. He's living on his own. He has gotten married. He has had three sons. Okay, now watch how this works. He's had three sons. For the sake of our conversation, I'm going to call them son one, son two, and son three. It's the best way. They're, they're crazy names that we're not familiar with, right? So here's what happens. Son one marries a woman named Tamar. Son one dies. Tamar then marries son two, right? She makes that connection. Son two dies, Now, son three is a boy, and she's looking to marry son number three. Judah is involved, right? These are Judah's sons. Judah gets involved in the situation, and that's where we pick up our story. Remember, as we're reading this through, here's what I'd ask you to look for, is begin to watch Judah as he processes this and see if you can find his blind spots as we begin to unpack the story. Judah, or Genesis chapter 38, verse 11 Here's where we'll pick it up. It says, Judah then said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, remember, that's his daughter-in-law, live as a widow in your father's household until my son Shelah, that's son number three, right, until son number three grows up. 
So you go live as a widow, go back home to your parents, basically be dependent on them. It would be difficult for women to be independent, right? We can't even almost imagine that today. But she's going to be dependent on her father's household, go back there until son number three is of marrying age. It says, for he thought he may die too, just like his brothers. In the back of his mind is this thought process, this lady's like taking out two of my sons, man. I don't know if I'm going to give her son number three, right? Not sure what's going on there, but for some reason, his sons have died. It says, so Tamar went to live in her father's household. After a long time, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua, died, right? So Judah's wife now dies. When Judah had recovered from his grief, he went up to Timnah, to the men who were shearing his sheep, and to his friend, the Adulamite, went with him. It says, from uh, when Tamar was told, your father-in-law is on his way to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's clothes. She would have worn widow's clothes that marked her as a widow, right, right, kind of in line to marry again. She took off her widow's clothes, covered herself with a veil to disguise herself. She hides her identity. She sat down at the entrance to Enium, which is on the road that he was on, for she thought that Shelah, son number three, had now grown up and she had not been given to him as his wife. So she's looking at the situation saying, Judah promised this. He's not delivered on that promise yet. I'm gonna hatch my own plan on how to make this thing right. Verse 15, when Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute for she had covered her face. And evidently that's how prostitutes would have been dressed in the time. Verse 16, not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law, he went over to her by the roadside and said, come now, let me sleep with you. And what will you give me to sleep with you, she asked. I'll send you a young goat for my flock, he said. Will you give me something as a pledge until you send it, she asked. He said, what pledge should I give you? Your seal and its cord and the staff in your hand, she answered. So he gave them to her and slept with her and she became pregnant by him. Here we go, Jerry Springer. We're on now, right? It says, after she left, she took off her veil and put on her widow's clothes again. Drop down to verse 24. This is about three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law, Tamar, is guilty of prostitution. This is, and she's now pregnant because of it. Judah said, bring her out and have her burned to death. Mm. This is, as she was being brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law. This is amazing. I am pregnant by the man who owns these, she said. And she added, see if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff these are. Oh yeah, here we go. Judah recognized them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her my son Shelah. This is son number three, and he did not sleep with her again. Wow, what a story, right? You may not have even known that was in the Bible. We got prostitution. So let me recap it. Judah has now slept with Tamar, not knowing that that was the widow that has married two of his his sons, he thought she was a prostitute, she became pregnant, it comes full circle, he realizes what he's done, and all of a sudden, all of these blind spots become, they all come to light kind of all at once. And so if you're reading along carefully, you may have seen some of those blind spots. One of them is this, right, that, that 
Judah was withholding justice from his daughter-in-law, right? This widow is his daughter-in-law. He's, she's part of his family. And for him to say, I, I'm not gonna allow you to marry son number three is basically to put her out in the street, to say you're dead to me, right? And he's got a hardness of heart that's playing out as he does that. He's withholding justice. The other thing that he does, right, blind spot kind of number two in our story is he, he gives his word to marry son number three to Tamar, he doesn't hold up his end of the bargain, right? You could make a good argument that he never intended to hold that end of the bargain up. He was kind of just deferring to put her off. He breaks his word to her. And then finally, right, he's participating in the very thing that he's condemning this woman for, right? He's not even able to, to connect the dots that he just slept with a prostitute three months ago Right? And when he hears that she's a prostitute and she's pregnant by it, none of that's connecting for him. That he is just as guilty as she would be. Even though she is put into this terrible situation for she's had to fend for herself. All of these blind spots begin to surface in Judah's life. He's in a situation where those blind spots have really turned into a disaster for him. And I think one of the things that we can walk away with from Judah's life is we can begin to take a cue of how he responds. Because although he messed up all kinds of stuff here in the story, his response is awesome. Let's just say it that way. He has a blind spot response that is awesome. In verse 26, when he says, man, she is more righteous than I am. I refuse to give her my third son and then what's implied here in the verse that he did not sleep with her again is that he basically married her, did not sleep with her again, but he provided for her financially for the rest of her life. That's the idea behind that statement, that he gave her justice and made his end of the deal right, which would have been culturally appropriate. What I think that begins to do for us, you're saying, what does this whole story have to do with us? How do we begin to even apply this conversation? Well, the reality is each of us are gonna have blind spots that surface in our lives, right? It's just what's gonna happen. We can't always see with perfect clarity all of the decisions and ramifications and the priorities and how healthy they are, right? It's not a matter of if, if that's going to happen, it's more a matter of when is it going to happen. When blind spots surface, here, we need to take responsibility for them right, like Judah did. He, he did a great job of taking responsibility. He owned it, he admitted it, and then he looked and said, I'm gonna do whatever I can do to make it right. Because I wanna recognize that some of us, you might be at church today because a blind spot has surfaced, right? Because a secret came out or something that you didn't think was a big deal has become a big deal as more light was on it Right, as a clear vision happened, maybe a marriage is being put back together, maybe a job is in jeopardy, right? maybe there are family relationships that are struggling, and there are these blind spots in, in our character or in our walk with Jesus that all of a sudden, when they have some light on them, we have a couple different decisions we could make. We could look at that kind of close our eyes to it, pretend it's not there, deny it, right? Or we could actually own it. 
and takes some responsibility for it. That's what Judah does. He, he responds and says, guilty is charged. She's more righteous than I am. I'm gonna make it right. I think that's what we should do too. I think that's just one part of the conversation though, however. Because what if, what if we could take a few steps back and before the blind spot becomes a problem, what if we were able to uncover it, right? What if we were able to find these blind spots before they turned into disaster? Because here's the thing, uh, to uncover a blind spot is to dodge a disaster. That's just what it is, right? To uncover a blind spot is to dodge a disaster. The situation that Judah found himself in was an absolute disaster. When, when I have a, a relationship with, with someone of the, other, the opposite sex and that thing is beginning to grow and get traction and get movement. And right, if I, if I don't uncover that blind spot and that turns into a, an affair, that's a disaster. Right, if, if I'm beginning to flirt with impurity on the internet and, and I'm starting to struggle, but, but I'm not bringing light on that, I'm not uncovering that blind spot, I'm not taking it seriously, and all of a sudden that thing's turned into an addiction. I'm just having a drink or two, man. It's not a big deal. And all of a sudden, a year or two down the road, that thing is, I'm drinking every night and now I might have a problem. To uncover a blind spot, to to put some light on an area that I don't have clarity on, that I lack understanding in, and it is to dodge a disaster. What if we could get ahead of it and what if we could get some light on these blind spots What kind of disasters could be averted? Because here's the thing, nobody ever sets out in life to to blow these things up, right? Nobody ever says, man, I want to get into a marriage to hurt my spouse. Zero people do that. Zero people say, you know what, I want to get this job and I want to lack integrity and ruin my reputation and my character. No one does that, right? Nobody says, you know what I want to do? I want to become an addict, I want a porn addiction, that's what I'm looking for. No one chases those things down, but somehow these kinds of situations, they, they find themselves popping up in our lives. These kinds of disasters, if we could take a few steps back, begin to identify and uncover these blind spots, man, oh, imagine the wreckage that could be saved. It's unbelievable, okay? The question then becomes, how do I find him? Right? This is all I can see. How do I uncover my blind spots if I personally can't see him? No amount of trying harder, right? No, no amount of getting smarter is going to help. How do I actually identify and uncover these things? What would that look like? I think step one to uncovering blind spots is this. I, I think it's to admit that we have them. Right? It's to admit that we have them. Step one to uncovering blind spots is to admit that we have them. Here's the thing. We can live as if these don't exist. If I begin to live as if I have blind spots, I'm gonna approach life in a very different manner. Because this is the reality. This stuff happens to all of us and there's a reason for it. Let, let, me, let me show you what I mean. So we would hear a story like Judah's and we would say, Judah, man, Judah is a jerk. 
right? Judah, man, he put a widow on the street. What a jerk. Who would do that? Judah broke his word. Who does that? Judah slept with a prostitute. Who does that? Wait a minute. Judah, in his story that we know from the Bible, this guy's also a guy who early on in his life, he he made a bad decision as a young man. He sold his brother into slavery. You imagine the regret, the shame that you would live with if you'd made that decision. Judah's also a guy who lost his oldest son. His oldest son died. And I, I cannot imagine what it would do to me to lose a child. He had another son who died. Two out of his three children he lost. You imagine the, the tailspin that would send you in to have that kind of pain. And not that long before he made these terrible decisions out of his blind spots, right? He's creating these disasters. He lost his wife. He's alone. Oh, I want you to, when you hear Judah, when you hear about his story and you hear about his decisions, I want you to realize this is a human being, right? This is not just a Bible character. Judah's a real guy with real pain, just like us. Does that justify his poor decisions? Absolutely not. I just want us to see ourselves in Judah's story. That that you and I, we all have pain. And what can happen is pain hits our life. Often we're surprised by that pain. What do we tend to do? What's our natural instinct when pain strikes us? Here's what we do. We're good Americans, right? We, we will shut down and we will say, I tried to trust other people. I tried to trust God. I'm done. I am going to batten down the hatches. I'm going to trust me. And only what I can see, my perspective, is going to be the perspective. And in fact, that's the most dangerous place we can actually be when we're there. But man, the, the natural place that pain would take us is to say, I, I can't trust any perspective of my own. It's a survival mechanism, right? It's a coping mechanism. I, I have to get through life by hunkering down and getting through it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust my vantage point and mine alone. Now, that leads us to our next step, right? Because if, if I can get a hold of the fact that I actually have blind spots. If I can say, you know what, this is probably limited. I just want to admit that, that that I probably have blind spots in my life. I want to actually admit that. Then I think I can begin to move to the next step. I was was meeting with a couple last weekend. uh, They were looking to take a difficult decision, but it was a good decision. I was telling them, <clears throat> I think the, the decision you're about to make is a high-risk decision. Do you understand what I mean by that, I asked them. I, I said, I'm not trying to offend you. I'm telling you this because I, I love you, I care about you, I want you to understand. I said, I want you to understand, 
I view myself as a high-risk person. They, they looked at me kind of shocked, right? They're like, you're a pastor. You're supposed to like have something together. Right? I looked and said, no, like I am a high-risk person. Like, what do you mean? Well, I said, think about like a high-risk pregnancy. What do you do with a high-risk pregnancy? Well, you baby it. You protect it, right? I have to admit that I have some blind spots, right? Because of my story and some pain that I've hit in my life. When I look at my life, I want to admit that there are pieces back here that I, I probably don't have a good understanding of, right? So when I approach my marriage, I have to baby my marriage, Right? I, have to, I feel like I have to work harder at my marriage than like normal people because I'm, I feel like I'm high risk. I feel like I need to baby my relationship with God because if I don't, if I let myself go, I'm, I'm gonna blow my life up. I view myself as high risk. I gotta admit that I have these blind spots that drives me into this next point, step two, Right, step two to uncovering blind spots is this. Right, I, first one is I admit that I have in step two is to appeal to a higher perspective. I have to appeal to a higher perspective. What do you mean? I need a higher line of vision if I am going to get any perspective on my life outside of my own. And when I begin to look at God's vantage point, that God knows and sees all of me. He knows me from the inside out. He knows my history. He knows my weaknesses. He knows my failures. He knows my sins. He knows my strengths. He knows who I am, who I'm made to be, who he created me to be. He knows my blind spots. He knows what I see, and he knows what I don't see. I appeal to a higher perspective, a higher line of vision, and now I can begin to have access to what I cannot see on my own. You guys want to see this verse with me, okay? Maybe you've heard this verse in the past, but you may be able to get some more perspective on it, hopefully, today. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, hear it with me. The writer of Proverbs says this, says, the fear of the Lord Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I'll read the rest and explain it. It says, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Here's what he is saying. <clears throat> when I admit that I don't have all knowledge and all perspective, and when I make a decision to fear, or that word fear is more, is more like, think revere, or honor, or respect, when I revere or fear the Lord, that is when, ready, wisdom can begin. The starting point for wisdom is not my perspective. The starting point for wisdom is when I access a higher line of vision, a higher perspective, and now wisdom begins to open up to me. I can begin to see the parts of my life that I couldn't see on my own. I'm able to access a line of vision that was unavailable to me on my own. And God is able, of course, to see this for every human being on the planet. It's one of the, the mind-blowing things about who God is, is he is all-knowing and all-seeing, and he chooses to be all-loving. And this God, 
who sees all and knows all, he doesn't want to uncover these blind spots, right, just to, to put our face in it, in our mistakes. That's not his heart at all. His heart is, is not to say, look what you did, right? You blew it. His heart is a heart of a father. And, and what he wants to do is he's saying, I have gone to unbelievable lengths to make wisdom known to you, to make perspective known to you. Why? Because I have the heart of a father. I, I want you to be able to see what you can't see on your own. Why? I love you. As I think about my kids, I, I love when my kids are going into a situation that's over their head and they look at me and, and they ask for my perspective on it. I love that. Why? I'm gonna help them avoid danger because I can give them a, a line of vision that's higher than their own at six or eight years old. And God our Father would say, people that I have created, do you understand how much I love you? I have gone to unbelievable lengths to communicate with you. I have gone to the lengths where I have even sent my own son to communicate and to open up a way where we can have relationship and where you can have access to wisdom that there's no way you could have on your own. As in some of us, you may, you may be here for the first time the first handful of times, you may have been coming to grace now and, and been saying, I don't even know what I think about this Jesus thing. I don't know. Let me tell you what God did for us, what he did for me, okay? I, I'm a man who, who grew up without any faith, right? My, my whole upbringing was without a religious background. I grew up with blind spots. Those blind spots began to hurt me I had done things that I was not proud of. I'd hurt people. And I began to suffer from guilt and shame from that. I knew I had a problem. That's about as far as I got. I tried a bunch of different things to deal with that problem. They were unsuccessful. And a friend came to me one time. He said, I, I want you to understand what Jesus has done for you. Jesus came and he lived a perfect life. And he is willing to offer that perfect life to pay for your failure, Ryan, for your sin, for your mistakes, for your blind spots, for this disaster that you've created. Perfection will pay for that. It's what Jesus was doing on the cross. If you accept that, you will be forgiven. You'll have life and you'll have a relationship with someone that has perspective far beyond your own. I said yes to that decision. And nothing has been as life-changing for me as saying yes to Jesus Christ. It's for some of us, as we're looking at what do we do with this conversation, we look at this guy named Judah and blind spots, and if you're here, you're not sure where to go, how to uncover these blind spots. Step foundational is to say yes to Jesus to say yes to his sacrifice, to say I, I, I can't do this on my own, I need help, I need forgiveness, I need a higher line of vision, higher perspective. Guys, for the rest of us, 
I told you I'm gonna leave you hanging a little bit. I think there is a step, or maybe, a, maybe the best way to say it is a positioning of our hearts that I'm looking for today. I'm gonna ask the band to come out, and here's how I'd love to end our conversation. If I wanna begin to uncover these blind spots, I think it starts with a very simple but a very powerful set of decisions. I think it starts by going directly to God, saying, God, here's my life laid out before you. I admit that I have limited vision. I I probably have some blind spots. God, I am asking you, will you show me my blind spots? Will you help me to see what I can't see on my own? Guys, I want us to have the courage to say, God, will you show me? Are Are there any attitudes or priorities or decisions? Are there parts of my life that that if I was just quiet for a little bit, if I was open for a little bit, that you might want to talk to me about this? Or would you talk to me about my, my marriage? Would you talk to me about how I'm navigating singleness? Lord, would you, would you talk to me about my finances, my parenting, my purity, Lord, here's me. I'm gonna open myself up to you. And God, would you, would you take a look? And would you love me enough to, to surface, to uncover these blind spots so that I might deal with them? Because that's a position of the heart. To move away from pride, I have it all together and move towards a position where we say, God, I need your help. I need your vision, I need your wisdom. I need you to speak into my life. I'm gonna pray in a minute, I want you to think about this. What if the next five minutes of reflection and prayer averted disaster in our lives five, 10 years down the road from now? Just think about that. We're gonna ask God here in a moment to uncover blind spots for us. Father, we wanna say thank you. That you love us enough to not leave us here alone without perspective and without vision for who we are. God, we ask for the courage to to lay our own lives bare in front of you. God, right now we ask you to look at all areas of our lives and we ask that you would surface the blind spots in us. Not because you're mad, not because you're demanding, Lord, but because you love us and you have the heart of a father and you want to protect us from ourselves, just like we would our kids. Lord, I ask for myself and my friends, would you give us courage to look at at the parts of our lives that may have become darkened, where we lack understanding, 
We love you, Lord. We trust you. Speak to us here as we sing and as we pray. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.